What happens with this? Patient goes into the scanner. Scan goes to the cloud. Scan is analyzed by AI. AI identifies whether this is a stroke or not. And the AI does the triage. Then we notify immediately the entire chain of command. They all get this loud alert noise on their phone. They open the Viz app. They do not only get notified, they also have the images. They also have a chat so they can communicate extremely fast. And they have a call center so they can make up a call. And this completely flips the way things are done. Hey everyone, welcome to Brains Behind AI, the show where we meet the innovators, entrepreneurs, and the real brains behind some of the most successful AI startups. We ask them about their journey from coming up with the idea to finding the product market fit, and from their experience, draw a set of principles that we can take away to ours. This is your host, Ari. Thank you for spending time with us. And now, let the show begin. Hello and welcome to another episode of Brains Behind AI. I am Ari Yakobi and I'm here with my co-host Natalie Thomas and we're joined by a special guest, Dr. David Golan of Viz AI. I am extra excited to have Dr. David Golan with us today because AI and healthcare is where my personal passion lies and I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Natalie, let's introduce David to the audience. David Golan is a co-founder and the CTO of Viz AI, a digital healthcare company harnessing deep learning to analyze medical data and improve clinical workflow. Viz AI developed the first ever FDA-approved AI-powered triage system for stroke. Prior to founding Viz AI, David was a Fulbright postdoctoral scholar at Stanford University working on leveraging deep learning for the analysis of medical imaging and genetic data. David holds a PhD in statistics and machine learning from Tel Aviv University and has co-authored more than 20 scientific papers, including three publications in the journal Science. David, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hey, David, before we get into the company and all the great stuff you're doing, why don't we start with a little bit about yourself, your own personal journey? How did you, where did it all start that led you to Wiz AI where you are today? I have to admit, I've never been, you know, a keen entrepreneur with uh, this, you know, fire burning inside that I want to start my own company. I've been working in the domains of uh, AI slash machine learning slash data science for, I guess, almost 18 years now. First, uh, the Israeli Defense Forces, uh, followed by a small startup in the data center automation space that grew up and ended up being acquired by VMware. Uh, then uh, in academia, doing a PhD in machine learning, and then at Stanford. And I was actually pretty happy with this so career pathway. I was supposed to go back to Israel to a faculty position and uh, lead a happy academic life. As life goes, we had sort of an unexpected uh, change of events. Around November of 2015, I had a, an, a somewhat unfortunate experience. I, I was actually admitted to Stanford Hospital uh, with a suspected stroke. Uh, luckily, it wasn't a stroke, and I turned out to be okay and was discharged the day after. But on top of it being an extremely frightening experience, at some point I couldn't move an arm and a leg and couldn't speak. It was 
also an extremely frustrating experience, being extremely helpless and also noticing the chaos, inefficiency of the way I, as patient, was handled at Stanford. So taking some time to recover after this, you know, this hospitalization, I was actually introduced to my co-founder and uh, CEO of VZI, Dr. Chris Mancy. And Chris is a neurosurgeon from, from the UK who actually moved to Stanford to the business school. He had numerous cases of surgeries that he performed went extremely well, but the patients died regardless. And when they investigated why, they realized it was because of you know, workflow delays and chaos and inefficiencies, just like the ones I experienced as a patient. You know, we actually connected, you know, sitting a mutual friend introduced us. We, we sat there at his backyard, you know, by the fire and chatted. We were talking about this and I sort of shared my story. And Chris told me, listen, dude, you're, you know, you're lucky because this kind of thing actually ends up killing a lot of people, this kind of delays. Honestly, I was shocked. I didn't realize it was a common thing. I thought, I thought it was a one-off. And we started talking about this. And then Chris told me, listen, it would be great if you could just automate this and identify those patients that need expert care and triage them directly to the expert, such as, you know, such as Chris, who can actually help them. And we started, you know, Chris took out his phone and started like Googling some images and, you know, then, then being with then 15 years of experience in, in machine learning, I told him, listen, from what I'm seeing and from what you're talking about, I think we can actually build this. So we decided that we will. And we ended up starting the company. Yeah, it's always interesting when there is a personal story, passion, and a mission attached to the idea. David, I've seen my grandfather go through it in his 60s, and I know how hard it was for him. But I cannot even imagine what it's like to have paralysis at a young age and then deal with system inefficiencies on top. But personal pain is where some of the most genuine ideas come from. So with that, I want to understand you and Chris, when you guys connected on the idea, did you say, let's build this out, let's build out a POC? Did you do that while you were still at Stanford and recovering? How does the story move from there? Yeah, so I mean, that's a good question. So, you know, we start with a, a, an idea and then we, we started sort of exploring and learning various angles. First of all, uh, understanding Medical imaging, understanding medical workflow, understanding different use cases. We explored several and trying to understand what exactly is the problem that we're trying to solve and what is the best way to solve it. On the same time, trying to understand the financial side of healthcare and how to build a business model and a business model that would make sense. And at the same time, trying to build a pitch and pitch to VCs and raise money so we can actually start building this. Trying to connect with physicians to learn more, trying to connect with people that can support us with getting us data because we need data to power AI. So a lot of things ranging from, you know, very, very, very technical to very, I guess, business oriented were happening uh, at the same time. And I guess that's part of the, the fun of you know, being part of a founder team, that you can experience all that at a very short span of time. Interesting. So so you started building these proof of concepts. You started looking at the use cases. What did you land on? Did you focus on one specific thing and what that thing was? Pretty early on, we realized that, you know, workflow is the issue. 
and that we're interested, what we want to go after and what we think the world needs is accelerating acute care. And, you know, nowadays it might seem obvious, but back then it was kind of controversial. Well, most of the effort in computer vision in healthcare was not centered around accelerating treatment or uh, improving times or dealing with acute care. It was rather centered around improving efficiencies of radiologist measurements or detecting hard find uh, lesions, for example, on mammography. And there are a wide of good reasons why that was, was the case. And I think generally speaking, people shied away from time-sensitive stuff, fearing that the regulators would have a serious issue with uh, uh, sort of a life-and-death situation. I think one of the early insights we had was that of all the places, this is where AI can really make an impact, and this is where technology can really make an impact, because it's really about time. And if you look at the statistics, they're astounding. You know, for a stroke patient, saving one minute translates to 4.2 days of disability-free life. That's just insane. And the delays in this in this domain are enormous. So we very quickly, from the get-go, we were interested in, in stroke and neurology and, you know, that domain. But we very quickly zoomed in on detecting type of stroke that's called the large vessel occlusion, or LVO, which is the worst kind of stroke, the one that actually leaves people, you know, with a serious disability or, or even death. And this is the kind of stroke where a very effective treatment was introduced in 2015. So, you know, we started the company in 2016. This is right after, like, imagine this revolution happening in, in the stroke space. All of a sudden, there's a magic treatment that is extremely effective, but only 5 to 10% of patients actually get it because of workflow issues. So we said, okay, uh-huh, you know, this is what we want to fix. We need to help those patients get the healthcare they need much, much faster. So let's do that. So who was your key client here? Was your client a hospital, a provider setting where you thought, let's take us to take this to a provider? And what if, the reason I ask is what I've also seen is a lot of healthcare AI companies sometimes approach health insurance companies and approach it that way. So what was your go-to market as you took your product to the market? Yeah, so we're definitely selling to providers. So there's a lot to be said about selling to insurers, but I think that's you know, that's more complex and you need to sort of come with a lot of evidence to, to the table. The providers, the hospitals, the thing is that I, I like to paint this triangle that uh, I tell, you know, I get to speak with uh, entrepreneurs in this, the healthcare space and say, you have to hit the three points, the three corners of the triangle. The one corner is the patient. You have to build something that helps patients. Otherwise, why are we here? Why are we in healthcare where things are hard? At the other end, there is the physician. If you're not making their life easier, if you're not making their life better, you're going to have a very hard time. But the third point, and this is the point that people often miss in this in the healthcare space, because people come, you know, people are the ideologists. They're driven by a desire to do good, and they're not driven by a desire to make money. And the third point is that you have to make a very solid business case for the financial operators of the hospitals. Right. And specifically for stroke, there is, you know, the sort of, we're able to find this magic product that satisfies all three stakeholders, right? So what happens is when you help a patient get faster treatment, of course you help them and maybe you're saving them from, from a tragedy and, and their family. 
you're helping the physicians because physicians are at that time were overloaded. Remember, a therapy that was introduced just uh, a year earlier. Now everybody has to wake up like 10 times a night to triage stroke patients. It's, it's a nightmare for them. So they need technology. But the third piece is that treating stroke patients, and especially treating them in a timely manner, is extremely profitable to the hospital. Right? It's a good thing. The, the, the payers incentivize hospitals to treat stroke people, to stroke patients fast. If they do that, they stay less in the hospital, hospital makes more money, and everybody's happy. So from the get-go, one of our big challenges was to really understand the business side of the hospitals and see how we can take this idea and our technology that is obviously a do-good technology, but also you know, cater to the needs of the administrators and the financial stakeholders in the hospitals. Nowadays, the, the way we think about viz.ai is I mean, we have AI in our name, and AI is, uh, you know, a big part of what we do. But in reality, we don't see ourselves as an AI company. We see ourselves as a workflow company. You know, our, our mission is to accelerate workflow. And sometimes we do that with AI, and sometimes we do it with, you know, just ordinary tech. And, you know, from my perspective, both are just as important and just as useful. We're just focusing on moving the needle, on making patients better. And, you know, whatever gets us there is fair game. Are you streamlining the workflow? Are you automating the workflow? If we were to look at it as from a workflow standpoint, what role is Wiz AI playing? Just before diving into that, let me spend like one minute on one, what happens without Wiz when someone has a stroke. Right? So a patient, you know, sits at dinner, unfortunately, you know, has a stroke. The family notices, they call 911. EMS comes, take them to the hospital. They would typically go 70 to 80% of the time to the nearest hospital, which is typically a smaller hospital. It's called a primary stroke center. So it's a smaller hospital that can give like first-line treatment but cannot give a full-blown you know, surgical procedure to remove the clot that is you know, just a clot in the brain that causes the stroke. They're evaluated there. And then they need to be transferred if a decision is made that this is an actual stroke case and a patient we can treat and so on. They would need to be transferred onwards to a comprehensive stroke center, to a big hospital that has all the facilities and can operate on them. And then there's a lot of coordination. You can imagine, I mean, almost everybody, you, you've been around hospitals, you know how inefficient they are. Now imagine they, the two hospitals need to start coordinating uh, send me the images, send me the patient file, hey, give me a call, hey, you're not answering, whatever. And just the delays are enormous. And then, you know, someone needs to make a decision. Typically, the what we call imaging to notification time, the time between when the patient hits the scanner at the first hospital and when the decision maker is notified for the first time, can be anything between 30 minutes to three hours. Right? That's, that's nuts. And remember, every minute goes by, 4.2 days of disability life accumulate. So what happens with this? Patient goes into the scanner. Scan goes to the cloud. Scan is analyzed by AI. AI identifies whether this is a stroke or not. And the AI does the triage. And then we notify immediately the entire chain of command. They all get this loud alert noise on their phone. They open the Viz app. They do not only get notified, they also have the images. They also have a chat so they can communicate extremely fast and they have a call center so they can make up a call. And 
this completely flips the way things are done. Instead of this uphill battle where a patient sort of is pushed uphill towards treatment, now the most experienced physician gets the notification, calls the ER, and says, guys, you have a stroke patient in the scanner. I can actually help you treat them. And they're like, what? I didn't even realize the scan was done. Because we entirely flipped the way thing, the, the order in which the workflow is performed. And this is completely revolutionary. So not only does it accelerate stroke care, and I'll give you some, some evidence we've had published over the last few months, it also makes the entire team more involved. And we've had cases where physicians would actually guide their teams from a plane. Because now with the Wi-Fi on a plane and the Visa app on the phone, they're connected and they know what's going on in the ER of the you know, eight hospitals under the supervision. They can see the images, they can see what the team is doing, and they're like, hey, hey guys, do you consider this? Hey guys, why didn't you do that? And it's entirely changing the way acute care workflow is being managed. That is fascinating indeed. I can't even imagine the power, right, as you scale some of this out. But one thing I know based on my own experience dealing with healthcare system and healthcare system in U.S., is it's not easy to work with them, especially when you're talking about patient data and moving patient data to cloud and then distributing it. So did you run into any challenges there? In, in how did you approach working with hospital on their data that your AI was analyzing? So I mean, let's, let's break it into two parts. There's sort of the research and development part where um, we were lucky to find extremely collaborative supporters, frontline physicians who bought into the vision, who said, this technology that you're describing is what I need for my practice, and I am happy to help you, to provide you with data, to provide you with feedback, and to provide you with expertise. I mean, I wouldn't say it wasn't a problem. It was a challenge. We also set up a, a fairly impressive data collection network in the Far East, which was extremely useful at the beginning. And then there's the commercial part. Then there's coming to a hospital saying, I'm going to connect you to the cloud and all your scans are going to go to the cloud and all your physicians are going to use a cloud-based app. Here, again, you run, into, you run into issues with the IT security of the hospitals. They're obviously concerned. They're obviously feeling this might be risky. And there we have done a lot of efforts. So first of all, from the get-go, Viz has a security-first mindset. But also we have this, the certifications and credentials to show for it. So we have a long series of cybersecurity, privacy, uh, and so on related certifications from the ISO family, SOC to versus like we're audited. I sometimes feel like we have an audit in the office every month. We're continuously audited. We have penetration testing. We're like we invest a lot of effort to A, make sure that we're secure and B, create the evidence to get our partners, our commercial partners at ease. That sounds great. How many hospitals are you in now? Are you growing exponentially? Because the part of the power comes from from a being wider network, right? There is this network effect. Do you want to guess? I would say between five and ten, but just a wild guess. Okay, right, guys, give, give us some credit. We're in over four hundred hospitals. How many? Over four hundred. Four hundred hospitals. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Like all across the U.S., over 400 hospitals. And you started in 2016? We started in 2016. 
We got FDA clearance in February of 2018. So we've been commercial under two and a half years. And first of all, we, we touched on, on the security and on getting, you know, getting people comfortable. That's one thing. The other thing is that you, know, you come with this uh, shiny tech and the first customer, you have nothing to show for it. Right? It's working. It's got FDA clearance, but there's no clinical data yet because no one is using it outside of you know, a couple of research installations. So, you know, again, and here it was really, really visionary physicians that saw how this can change their practice, coupled with a couple of very, very hardworking uh, salespeople who really, you know, drove across the country, across the U.S., looking for hospitals that had issues that they could convince them we can fix without technology. So then you accumulate another site and another site and another hospital, and then there's all of a sudden a hospital network. It's like one one central hospital with five smaller hospitals. And, you know, then it sort of creates this exponential flywheel where, you know, there's more buzz and more people are talking. And yes, this is actually making a difference for me. And now we actually have publications. We have those sites comparing pre-vis and post-vis and really showing remarkable results. We're seeing faster treatment times, shorter lengths of stay in the hospital, improved patient outcomes, both at discharge and three months after the stroke. And now we have this clinical evidence, and it's actually making the whole thing go faster and faster and faster. So, you know, we're hoping to keep seeing this exponential increase in, in, in the number of sites and in, in revenue. How many countries are you in? Are you just within the U.S. or are you approaching other countries too now? So we're in the U.S. only. We have a couple of research installations in Israel. It's convenient for the R&D team here to have uh, users uh, close by and they provide us with very useful feedback. But commercially, we're only in the U.S. at this time. Got it. And how big is your team? The company in general is about 100 people. Uh, we're split roughly equally between the U.S. and Israel. The R&D team is almost entirely in, in Israel, in Tel Aviv, and the rest of the operation is in the U.S. So we have our headquarters in San Francisco, and our sales, uh, implementation, customer success, customer support teams scattered throughout the U.S., even though nowadays everybody's working from home anyway. <laughs> so, I, I mean, the headquarters is not really in the U.S., it's in Zoom, but uh, you, know, you get the point. The world has changed. Right, so leaving aside for a second how we work and that we've started to work remotely in the U.S. and worked remotely for a few months in, in Tel Aviv, from a business-slash-product-slash-clinical perspective, as COVID hit, we went to our users and said, guys, what can we do to help? You, you are they're fighting the war you know, in the trenches. What can we do to help? And we started hearing a lot of interesting things. They said, you know, Viz, your app is amazing. I really like it. It allows me, it would allow my radiologists to read scans without getting into the hospital, reducing the chance of infection. Can we also route our x-ray machines so we can look at chest scans of suspected COVID patients? Can you guys add a button to the app that if a patient is COVID positive, I can press on it and it would notify everybody so they know to take extra protective measures dealing with this patient? Can you guys? Add a, a video feature so I can video chat with a patient without going into the room and wasting a, a set of PPE or for personal protective. And like all, all sorts of these requests. And as I said earlier, this is not about the AI. This is about workflow. So, you know, these requests have nothing to do with AI. 
you guys want to see x-rays on the app? For sure. I mean, we'll, we'll deliver that. So we actually, two or three weeks into the, you know, after the pandemic hit the US, we released this COVID-19, which is a re- I guess, a, I wouldn't say rebranded, but rather a modified version of the app that supports COVID-19 teams, supports viewing x-rays, supports video chat, supports notifying teams on positive cases or suspected cases, and has a lot of, of that going on. And that was actually pretty successful. We have about 20 hospitals using that. So we felt like we were able to, to deliver some value to our users. On top of that, were, of course, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but there was some time where there was claims, there were claims that COVID actually co- causes stroke in young people, in younger population. Yeah, I've seen that article. You know, there was even more interest or even more importance in getting automatic detection as sort of a fail-safe. You have someone who's not a typical stroke patient, right? Uh, maybe in their mid-30s, they can be fit, and may- maybe the symptoms don't really match because they're also coughing and stuff, and you put them in the scanner, but the, the radiologist is not primed to look for a stroke, so maybe there's opportunities there. Yeah, there was definitely a lot going on. From a commercial standpoint, hospitals were taking a hit, so we were a bit concerned about that at first. But as I mentioned earlier, because we have a very solid business case that actually brings money in, it actually made, made our product more attractive. Right? If before COVID, hospitals looked at this as a way to improve the level of care, improve the quality metrics, and also maybe you know, make, improve revenue, now in the more cash, cash strive, they're actually prioritizing products that can generate revenue for the hospital. So it actually was, we were, we were concerned, but our commercialization actually accelerated after the initial hit. It was also incredibly interesting from other perspectives. You know, our sales team stopped traveling. We had uh, nine people strong sales team who they basically live on a plane. You know how that is. And all of a sudden, they all started working remotely. It saved us a lot of money, right? Travel is super expensive. And did it slow down sales? Not at all. The contrary, even. So it also made us question our sort of traditional methods of operation. Yeah, no, it's a very interesting point, right? It's not just you. I think it's everyone else that's also having the exact same experience where people are just as productive working from home over Zoom versus being on the road, flying to different cities, staying at hotels and all that. As the world comes out of this COVID-19 reset, the business travel will be significantly reduced because we've figured out how to work without being there in person. And I think what really fascinates me is how you were quickly able to go and apply your technology to COVID-19 and how it became more important and critical by enabling telepresence, by enabling sharing of information and tying the correlations that COVID-19 may have with the stroke. So, so that's absolutely amazing. Where do you see, as you look at the future, and I know it's hard to think about future given what we're going through, but as you think about, say, three years from now and five years from now, given the rate at which you have rocket shipped, where do you see the business and where do you see the impact? Let me try and paint you a vision of how we think the future of healthcare should look like. And generally, we're seeing this as what we like to call the system of action for healthcare. Essentially, the platform on which healthcare happens. And, and we're starting this with acute care. 
So two years from now, three years from now, ideally every acute case that comes into the hospital is managed on the Viz platform, whether it's with AI that's triaging it or not. But then later, five years from now, it's not limited to acute care. It's everything. Because not only are we providing this you know, AI, we're actually providing, again, if you, uh, you know healthcare, healthcare lives in the 90s or you know, at, least, at least 10 years behind in terms of IT, in terms of the infrastructure. And all of a sudden, they have this amazing, fast app that connects everybody. It's just such a generation leap in terms of their ability to work together. It's really, really, really transformational. And at the end of the day, our mission is to help patients get treated, get patients seen by the right doctor. It doesn't doesn't have to be an acute case where every second counts. It can also be a fracture that's complex. And only an orthopedic surgeon in that hospital over there can treat it. It can be, you know, an oncology case, cancer that only, you know, that other physician in that hospital over there is running a trial for. So we want to make all these connections and essentially eliminate the variability in the level of care across across the U.S. and across the world, right? Because right now, if you go to a poor hospital, you will get poor care. But if you have an AI-powered healthcare operating system, and you go into a scanner in a poor neighborhood, but the scan pops up on the phone of the best physician on the other side of the country, because they are the right physician to treat you, then you've, I wouldn't say eliminated completely, but you've reduced the amplitude of the spread of levels of care. And you've brought the level of care in the periphery, in the socially disadvantaged regions and countries of the world, up higher towards the best-in-class care. And that's our mission, and that's the five- to ten-year vision that we're trying to accomplish. One of the things I was thinking about as you were describing your product earlier was imagine a hospital in Africa or any developing country, and then, then having them use your technology and tool and push things to a cloud where a doctor in U.S., on a pro bono basis, can quickly scan through what was pushed to the cloud and provide some recommendation or advice to a doctor that could be in West Africa or Malaysia or or other parts of the world where they may not have the resources, experience, research, and skills that we may have in developed parts. That's amazing. Yeah, I agree completely. You know, you have you know the best and brightest of of third world countries. They come to the U.S. And they become the best doctors, right? And they're in the US, but you know, they think and dream about giving back to their home countries and helping there. And they don't have the means to do it. But with technology, with our technology, I agree with you, that that's that's actually a vision that can come true. That's amazing. Now turning gears to the healthcare industry, right? The the executives there and the leaders that are driving the healthcare industry. What advice do you have for them? How can they help you and essentially themselves accelerate on this AI-based operating system for healthcare journey that we are all on? Yeah, I think one thing that comes to mind, opening up a bit in terms of what challenges are they facing, opening up a bit in terms of their financials and 
you know, the, the, the financial models and where they feel like they're not optimizing. So entrepreneurs could, it would be easier to sort of find the next use case that is both clinically useful and also financially viable. It's actually pretty hard. This is, this is the hardest part to really get this business, vi- business viability part. This is where most startups in the healthcare space fail. So that's one thing. The other thing, I mean, we are seeing a very impressive transformation across the U.S. I think if we were to found a company in 2013, for example, we would have failed because no one would have agreed to send data to the cloud. So, you know, they are progressing. They are, some of them are very progressive in how they think about, about these things. Some are not as progressive, and I would advise that, you know, the, the U.S. is different, but maybe some sort of a consortium putting out some sort of, a, you know, formal letter stating, this is what's okay for a vendor. This is what's okay for a pilot. This is what's okay for, you know, a company. This is the certification that the company would need to earn your trust. If this was made clear, it would have made making business much easier, right? Because right now every hospital makes up their own requirements for vendors, make up their own rules around data sharing in the cloud. And you know, we've run into these funny catch-22 situations where a hospital would say, I would love to work with you if you can just prove that your product works. Okay, so send us some data. Well, I can't send data because you're not an approved vendor. Awesome, so can you approve us as a vendor? Yeah, I would love to approve you. Just show us that your product works. <laughs> you know, you go in these circles because there's not like a clear-cut policy of you know what can and can't be done and what's acceptable. So I think harmonizing that would accelerate healthcare transformation, healthcare IT transformation in the U.S., Hey David, I know it's Sunday and you joined us from Israel. So thank you for spending time with us. This was super valuable. I enjoyed listening to your personal story and how your personal pain led you to making such a big impact in healthcare. Thank you for doing what you do and we wish you all the success because your success is the success of healthcare and success of humanity. So thank you for that. Thanks again for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here today. If you like what you heard and are interested in more, visit us online at brainedbehind.ai and sign up for my monthly AI startup tracker. That's where I cut through the noise and bring you AI startups that are making tangible progress. Till next time, go out, be the brains behind AI.